and welcome to Inside Nova Quark, episode number six, the podcast about Dual Universe and the people that make it. I'm Community Manager NQ Neris, and today I am your host. I'm joined today by CEO and Creative Director JC Bay and former podcast host and live operations manager NQ Nomad and one of our truly amazing game designers NQ Entropy. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for being here. Hello. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. As you're aware, we're still under the COVID-19 lockdown, so we're bringing you this podcast from our homes. Because of that, the sound quality may not be everything you're used to, and we appreciate you understanding that. Today, we're going to be talking about some really cool upcoming changes in the next build. That's Alpha 3.1, and for those of you keeping track, that's R0.19, as well as addressing a few of the more recent concerns that you've had in the community. So without further ado, let's do it. Alpha 3.1 introduces some really exciting new features, changes and challenges for the team. Let's talk about those things with some of the much anticipated features coming. With this being my first group podcast, I feel like a great segue to start the show is talking about the first time user experience. I know the team's been working really hard at helping out new testers by bridging the learning curve a little bit. JC, can you take some time to introduce us to what we can expect with the first time user experience? Yeah, sure. Um, so as you said, there's a lot of work that is done on that, that matter right now. Um, we are perfectly aware that the game in the current state is not uh, you know, user-friendly. Uh, so that's what we're trying to address. It starts with the fact that uh, we modified a little bit where you spawn. So you used to spawn inside the arc ship. This is still the long-term goal, you know, that you get into the arc ship and you actually walk inside it and there's a all fantastic, you know, introduction going on there, but we're going to skip that for now because it's a lot of work and we want to focus on the experience first. So you're going to spawn directly in what we call the districts, which is an area where you can have a lot of uh, tutorials available. We're going to talk more about that, uh, but that's where you spawn. And from there, uh, we are going to add a lot of things that are going to help you, you know, to get uh, an understanding of the game. So that starts with helpers, so whenever you look at something in the UI or in the 3D world, you'll be able to spawn by pre- pressing H. You'll be able to spawn sort of a, a mini tutorial about what the th- that thing is and what it does. So that's a sort of a proactive way of de- learning about the game. Uh, we're going to have also hints. So what, depending on what you're doing, you know, some things might actually pop up to tell you what uh, you should know about the, the, the current situations. Uh, we're going to also have achievements, which is uh, you know, things that are quite difficult to, to do in the game, but they serve as a sort of a passive way to learn about what you can do in the game, in fact, because they sort of state you know, the, the, the kind of things you could achieve. And of course, and that's the most important part, we're going to introduce a whole mechanic so that you can access tutorials which is actually a very difficult thing to do in a single shard universe, if you think about it, because suppose you want to do a tutorial where you learn about mining. Uh, if you have only one reality that everybody is sharing, uh, it's very hard you know, to make something where you're going to go at a certain point and mine there, because as soon as there will be like 10, 20, 100 people doing the same thing at the same place, it will be you know, probably completely mined out, and so it doesn't work like that. So we introduced uh, the notion of tutorials, which are uh, in the game presented as a sort of a VR station where you get into a simulation, and that actually gets you to a, a standalone version of the game where you can learn whatever you have to learn, piloting a ship, mining, uh, doing the economy, and things like that. So th- this is what we are implementing at the moment. Uh, and so that's going to be a major improvement so that people can, you know, interactively learn about the, the, 
the game features. There will be a voice that guides you and this kind of thing. So that it's going to be, uh, uh, we hope it's going to be really nice. But you know, depending on your playstyle, you might want to skip that and rely more on the hints or the helpers so that you discover things by yourself. There's always uh, still, you know, the codex, which is like this huge amount of, you know, uh, sort of monolithic uh, uh, documentation about everything uh, in your universe. So you have different modalities to actually discover the game as you prefer the, with the kind of things that, that, you, that you like. And hopefully also after you've um, passed the first uh, a tutorial stage and you start to be going out uh, outside on your own you still be you know supported by those hints and helpers that will actually be uh you know next to you sort of uh whenever you you need some uh, some hand to understand something that that you skipped uh at the beginning so this is this is a major uh, uh investment uh, so that we get the game accessible, we get people to know what is there, what is possible, and then they choose. Of course, the point is not to do everything, but at least you are aware that certain gameplays are available. And if you want to learn more about, about them, there are many ways for you to, to, to do that. So that's, that's it. That's about the first-time user experience. Um, and we, we're very hard at work on that. There's a dedicated team uh, working on that. So the tutorials are going to be a really great way for the newer returning users to really understand the core concepts of Dual Universe and get their feet wet. This update's also bringing in some really cool quality of life and can I just say fun elements to play with too. Let's talk about some of those changes. Uh, let's start with Entropy. Do you want to talk about some of the visual changes happening? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's actually a whole bunch of stuff in this category, so let's just uh, let's just get through it here. Um, the first thing that I'm going to talk about here is the inventory and the container UI changes that we've made. So we understood and we heard your feedback when we released the first version that we made uh, a while back, I think for Alpha 3. Um, you guys didn't absolutely love it. There was some uh, some good feedback and we, we totally agreed. So we sort of went back to the drawing board. We, we changed what needed to be changed. And hopefully you guys like this new version. We have better filtering. It's now bigger. It's now not limited to half the screen now. It actually takes uh, the, the whole screen up like before. Uh, we brought the info panel back and hopefully it restored all of that functionality that you guys were missing and then also improved uh, on some of the other stuff. So uh, we're still looking for feedback at that. And if you guys have anything to say, then uh, you know, go through the forums, go through Discord, and we'll, we'll, we'll be there to hear you guys out. Uh, the second thing here are the new elements. Uh, so I'm going to split this one in two, uh, two categories here. Uh, the first are actually the element variations. And so this is sort of our first uh, little step into this pool. And uh, this is something that we want to keep expanding. Uh, we started with uh, space engines and atmospheric engines. And so what are element variations? Variations are essentially the same element, but with different stats and hopefully different applications. Uh, so the idea is you can have an atmospheric engine engine with more thrust, but also more fuel consumption. You can have a space engine with uh, better weight to power ratio, but you know, a higher uh, T50, a higher warm up. Uh, and so the idea is to have a range of engines in this case uh, that can be used for different applications. And then you guys can sort of like pick and choose uh, which ones are more appropriate. If you're making a cargo ship, there's going to be things that makes more sense there. Uh, if you're making a, you know, a fast fighter, there's going to be things that make more sense there. If you care about fuel consumption or if you don't, um, all these things are now things that you can take into account and sort of pick the engine that you uh, prefer. Um, so as I said, we started with space and Atmo engines. Uh, this is something that we're looking to expand into all types of elements and have all sorts of variations, uh, you know, potentially for weapons and maybe even for containers and other things like that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the second category of new elements that we're bringing are 
what are what we're calling decorative, uh, but hopefully uh, these also affect the gameplay. Um, we have three or four new elements for you guys here today, and they're all sort of targeted at uh, small little changes that we think would help you guys build better looking ships, essentially. Um, the first one is actually the ship fuel intake. Um, so when you're building a ship, usually you don't necessarily want to expose your fuel tanks. Um, maybe you're building a PvP ship and obviously you don't want it to get shot, but even if you're building a normal ship, you know, it doesn't seem very smart necessarily to have your fuel tanks hanging outside on the side of the hull. Sometimes it can be pretty, but not always. Um, however, the problem with that is that you do sort of need to refuel them. So it means that you do need access uh, to these fuel tanks at some point. And we've seen players do some really you know, clever things uh, with voxels in order to sort of fit all that together. Uh, but the ship fuel intake is actually a very small element. It takes the size of exactly one voxel. Um, and it is just literally a little bit of a hole. So you can raycast through it and target uh, a fuel uh, tank through a little wall. And it makes it uh, look a lot nicer. And hopefully uh, you guys can do some cool stuff with that. Uh, the second element that we have here are hatches. Um, so exactly like you would have on a submarine. Um, we've noticed that we didn't really have any options for entering ships from above and under, and players were sort of relying on some of the sliding doors or some of the normal doors, which they were putting horizontally. Um, that's nice, but some of those doors look a little bit awkward when they're just laying flat because they're, they're sort of designed to be vertical. And so what we did is we made a little hatch. Uh, it's a lot smaller. It's very compact. It's, uh, you know, low form. So it doesn't, it's not gonna, you know, put big bumps on your ship. Uh, but we've got a whole super cool animation that goes on. It just opens up. You can drop in up or down, depending on which direction you're coming in from the ship. And, uh, and hopefully you guys can use that to make some, uh, some cool looking little entry points to your, to your ships. Um, lastly, we've got the commander seat and the new gunner modules. Um, previously, all of these uh, seats were using the same model, and that was something that was bothering us a little bit. Where uh, you would enter like a you know a command center, and all the seats would look the same, and you weren't sure what was doing what. Um, so now you'll be able to clearly differentiate what's a gunner module, what's a commander seat, what's used to pilot, and what's used to use weapons. Um, and you know, with the, with the upside that hopefully now they just look a, a little bit cooler and. And we do think they look a little bit. Uh, moving on from the elements, uh, still in the visuals, we have some new textures. Um, so this is sort of a split visual gameplay section, essentially, because with new textures, that means obviously new materials. Uh, so this is the first batch, and we we are intending on doing a second batch. What we did in the first batch is we did all the pures. So what that means is that from now on, as you know, whenever this uh, version is dropped, um, you will be able to make honeycombed materials from all pure uh, materials. So that means that there won't be you know, any selection anymore. You're not going to be limited to uh, iron and aluminum and, and copper, et cetera, anymore. Now, all 20 pure materials, uh, you will be able to make honeycomb materials with those. Um, so obviously that comes with a whole brand new range of visuals to pick from. And uh, the texture team in, uh, in Montreal has been hard at work to, to get that calibrated. And, and we're still working on getting that to the, to the best visual that it can be. Uh, but it actually also means a whole bunch of new HP and resistance combinations to pick from for PvP. Obviously, these new materials are you know totally integrated. So uh, they have their own health points and their own resistances uh, to, to all the different weapon types. Uh, so that's a, that's a cool package uh, for both builders and, and even crafters, but especially PVPers uh, to sort of play around with and, and you know, try to find the best combinations, essentially. Uh, so we will get to the products. 
first we're shipping the pures and then uh, products are coming in a little bit later. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but we'll, we'll get that done. It's on the, it's on the roadmap. Um, lastly, uh, save the best for last here. Um, <laughs> I know this is something that players are going to be quite excited for. Uh, the last podcast we were on, we actually talked about it. Um, and this is, uh, the issue with leaving very small bits of ores, uh, when you're mining and uh, having that totally pollute, uh, the scanner and, and, you know, finding, hoping to find, a. Uh, you know, a super valuable piece of, uh, of of ore, but then it's also just like a, a, a miniature nugget stuck in a corner and everything's already been mined. Uh, super frustrating. And we said we would look at it and we did. Um, I would hope that it's fixed, but um, if it's not, tell us and uh, we will continue to look at it because I am convinced that this is uh, a very important thing that we need to fix. So let's talk about what we actually did. Uh, we had a two-pronged approach for this. The first thing we did is what we're calling ore highlighting. When you are equipping a mining tool, so that includes the digging tool and then the two scanner tools, um, ore around you will actually be highlighted with a shader. And so that makes it much, much easier to just look around a mine, especially when you're underground a little bit deep and it's a little bit dark. You can just look around and you can actually see the ore be highlighted. And even a very small piece of ore at distance, you can actually spot it and you can go clean it up and you can go mine it. So that's really cool. That, uh, that'll help those uh, conscientious miner, miners to clean up their, uh, clean up their, their mining and, and hopefully drastically reduce uh, the issues with having small bits of, of uh, ore that you can't find. The second thing that we did was actually voxel side. So um, we, in addition to having something that the players could interact with, we wanted to have another fix that helped reduce that happening in the first place. And so that's what we did. I won't necessarily go into the uh, technical stuff exactly, but suffice to say that now when you mine, when your mining sphere is done, um, essentially what the system does is that it looks around and it will check if there's any small bits on the edges of your mining circle. And if there are, it'll just grab it. Um, so it is essentially a very small buff to uh, your mining output. Uh, not too much, but very small. But hopefully that also helps uh, in reducing uh, the, the phenomenon with having very small bits of ore uh, that are left at the bottom of caves that you can never find. I think finding ore is definitely going to save a lot of sanity. I know I, for one, when I get down into a bottom of a mine and there's nothing left except a tiny bit, it's frustrating. So I'm excited sure. to see this go into play. One question, though. Commander seats. Do they have cup holders? Uh, I do believe they do, yes. Uh, very <laughs> important to get your morning coffee or tea, depending on your uh, preferred beverage, uh, uh, to, to get yourself going. So should be no problem there. See, a coffee holder is important to me. We got to have that, man. Absolutely. All right. So one of those UI changes that we've included um, is being able to stay up to date what's happened when you're not around in game. JC, do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, yeah. very quickly. I mean, it's a new, uh, we call it persistent notification system or offline notification system that will notify you of things happening uh, when you're in game, of course. But also if you're offline and you come back later, uh, there will be a sort of a digest of the things you missed, which is uh, very important, for example, for... Uh, industry to know you know uh, jobs that have completed also for markets to know if some of your orders have, have been fulfilled uh, so these kind of things are, are extremely important uh, that, that you don't miss this kind of information so in fact in the future 
probably post beta. Um, uh, there's a lot of things that we plan to do on adding, you know, uh, managers basically that allows you to have a bird's eye view of whatever happened uh, uh, during your, for example, regarding your your orders, uh, your wallet, and so on and so on. But this is a lot of work. It requires the development of new UIs and so on. So we simply don't have time to do that right now. But the notification system that works now, the offline version, uh, is going to sort of you know, provide the, the minimal functionality that you need to be able to you know, track what's going on and not miss this important you know, sales or uh, job that completed while you were offline. Uh, we're going to use that system for um, anything you know, that makes sense for you to be notified um, uh, even when you're not uh, in the game. So that's, that's a very good addition. Yeah, I think it's going to be super useful just to, with everything that's going on in the game, whether it's yeah. markets or industry or sometimes PvP and, and all these other systems that we have that I, I can't even think of right now. Um, mm -hmm. Being able to know what's been happening in the, in, you know, in the past 12 hours or maybe even sometimes longer if, if you're away for a while, it's just going to be super, super useful. So I think that's, yeah. that's a great change. To be honest, actually, some, some of those gameplays were simply broken without that. Like yeah. You can't. Mm -hmm. if you Very have, hard like, to interact know, with. 100 orders or 100 things running and how do you know that something has happened? You go to each of them to check their state. It doesn't make sense. So this gameplay was basically broken because uh, we the system was missing. We didn't introduce it sooner because we, we thought at the beginning we would have some other ways, you know. But finally, that's the way we, we deal with that issue, and uh, it solves the you know the functionality that, that uh, we need to have. Notifications are definitely going to be helpful for everyone because, you know, occasionally the memory's not so good and we don't know what's going on in our lives in the real world or in the game. And sometimes you just wake up not really knowing where you are anymore. Um, there has been some changes to how the resurrection nodes work and spawning. Entropy, do you want to walk us through the new changes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we took a little bit of time to look at the resurrection nodes. Um, their, their implementation dated from a very, very long time ago. I would, I would have... Uh, thought it was maybe one of the first things because it existed before I got here and it was still the exact same when we were taking a look at it. Um, we wanted to expand a little bit of that functionality, have a little bit more options. So uh, the main change and the, the main difference uh, going forward here is that you can now bind yourself to multiple resurrection nodes. Um, so you will no longer be limited to one resurrection node where you always have to respond to that one uh, when you die or when you uh, suicide. Um, you will now be able to have multiple nodes active at the same time and uh, be able to respawn at all of them. Now with that power, comes uh, a restriction, um, as always. And the, the reason we have this restriction is that we didn't want resurrection notes just to be used as teleporters and just constantly bounce around from place to place and just be all over the place. Um, so when you die, the you will actually respawn at the resurrection node that is closest to your position. Um, so you can be bound to you know your main base and you know a ship or or you know a secondary base wherever it is you 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 have resurrection nodes, uh, important locations so to speak. Uh, but when you die, it will be the closest one that is activated, and you will you will not have a choice as to where you respawn. Um, this is something that we're still taking a look at, and we're we're willing to hear feedback on this. So if you guys have some some great suggestions, or if you guys have uh, have things to say, then uh, then don't hesitate to to give us some feedback on that. Uh, but hopefully, this at least expands a little bit. Uh, the power uh, that is accessible. And it, it was a little bit annoying to always have just one. Uh, it made you 
you know, it was a little bit annoying to, uh, to, to always have to switch back and forth and never be, uh, not have the flexibility essentially of having multiple residents. So hopefully this at least goes uh, some way to, to changing that. And that, that introduced also interesting tactics for PVP where you have your resurrection node inside your, your big uh, Battlestar type ship. Uh, but also you have another one, the secondary one that maybe is in another ship or is on the, the ground of a nearby planet that you plan carefully before and so on and so on. So that you have, you know, different uh, ways that you, you don't, don't spawn back to the arc ship immediately, uh, which in fact should never happen because that's kind of a punitive thing to happen. So you should have some, you know, layers of progressively more and more distant resurrection nodes that you can trust. Um, to 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 be activated if you if you die. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely going to make it easier to get back to where the action was before you know the untimely pause button was hit. I understand that we've also made some changes to uh, early game crafting recipes. Can we talk about that. Yeah, sure. So uh, we also took a look at crafting from from the game design side. Um, after we had our, our huge crafting rebalance in Alpha 3, um, we've had a little bit of time to reflect on it and take some feedback from players. Um, and there was a couple of things that we wanted to target to, to sort of smooth out that curve. Um, so we made a couple of changes. The first thing that we made, and this was this is the goal of this change is a generic crafting buff, essentially. Uh, this is the easiest entry point that we had to make this change. And essentially, we're buffing the output of products. Um, so products will be going from 50 output with the same input to 75 output. Um, if you're at all familiar with the crafting system, you know that products are basically used everywhere, uh, with the exception of scrap and honeycomb. Uh, as soon as you start going into parts and elements, uh, it's almost exclusively products. Uh, so essentially, this is a straight buff to uh, to uh, the speed at which you can craft uh, parts and elements because you will have more product available to you. Uh, it'll help in the early game, and it's also more of a generic uh, crafting buff to to alleviate uh, some of the time that it takes to, to make some of these parts sometimes. Uh, the second thing that we did, and this was a lot more targeted, uh, we uh, removed... Um, the complex part from level one functional parts. Uh, so I'm gonna let you guys digest that for a second. We removed the complex part from level one functional parts. What that means is that creating the functional part for any T1 element will not be quite a bit simpler. The complex part, while not necessarily the most difficult difficult thing to craft is still something that takes a little bit of time and uh, takes multiple extra resources. Uh, so removing that gateway here is going to make it a little bit more palatable, especially in the early game, to be able to get out those uh, those early elements if you're just making uh, you know, containers in the early game or engines very rapidly. Uh, removing that complex part is just going to smooth out that curve a little bit and make it uh, a little bit easier for, for you in the early game. The last thing we did, and this is a little bit more generic, uh, we reduced the time it takes to craft large elements. Um, we just looked at those times and we thought it was a little bit long. Um, you know, by the time, especially when you're trying to craft uh, large containers, which happens quite rapidly, uh, we thought uh, it was a little too slow. So we, we gave that a little bit of a boost and it should be a little bit easier to get out those large containers in the early game uh, going forward. We all need a place to store our iron. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can we talk about surrogate robots for a moment, please? I know this topic sparked a lot of interest during the Twitch feed, and it's brought a lot, a lot of questions from the community. So what exactly does it mean? JC, you want to talk about it? Uh, sure. Yes, yes. So surrogate robots is, is a, a very important feature. 
um, we added it not like uh, you know uh, you might think why, why are those guys adding a new feature I mean there's some so 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 many things to polish and, and so on and so on and I agree but this one is actually part of a polish if you think about it so there are basically two uh, main use cases two main reasons why the thing is going to be um, very useful uh, maybe I should say what it is first and then I explain why we did it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, so, right, sure. Uh, so, Surrogate Robots is uh, it's a bit inspired by this movie called uh, Surrogates. Maybe some of you have seen it with Bruce Willis and so on, and which is itself, you know, uh, a, a very old uh, science fiction idea that you can take control of a remote robot that, that, that is going to be looking exactly like you and uh, that is going to be able to uh, move around and you control it, you know, with a VR headset and you're almost there, right? It's as if you were there. So that's exactly the metaphor that we, that we use for that feature. Um, you're going to have places where you have those kind of uh, VR uh, stations that you can sit in and that will actually give you eff effectively, you know, teleport you uh, to a remote place in the game, wherever you want where there are some uh, robots, where well, there won't be any robot for, to, to start with. I mean, at some point, we will polish that and add, you know, a nice, uh, a nice uh, character specialized for that. But for now, it's just basically you uh, that actually spawns in a distance and you're able to move around and to interact with things and to do whatever you would like to do there. It is not teleportation in a traditional sense because as the metaphor implies, you are still wherever you are when you activate the, the VR station. Uh, that is, you don't transport anything that you had in your pockets. Uh, you can transport materials uh, in, in the game. Actually, the, you know, the, the, the thing we, the, the clear uh, don't do, no go that we, we have in the universe is the ability to teleport matter uh, across the universe. Uh, because that kills the opportunity basically to intercept uh, transporters along the way. So that kills a lot of opportunities for pirates. And it, or it has a, a lot of very bad consequences. So surrogates are what are not about teleporting matter or anything in your pocket. It's just teleporting yourself. So you are going to be effectively in a remote place in full capacity to uh, interact with things uh, around you. We might actually uh, reduce your skills and there will be uh, maybe uh, entropy. We'll talk about that. But the, the core idea is that it actually gets you teleported so, sort of uh, to a, a, a remote location. Uh, so what, what are the uses for that? Uh, there are two uses. Uh, so just before I go to uses, the last thing is um, anyone can create actually a spoon point. Uh, so that's what, what, what we call a, a, a surrogate uh, a station. Uh, so you can put that on your construct. So you have, you have made a wonderful construct. You want to you invite people to go and visit it. You can actually deploy something. Uh, you know, a, a station, a rival station, if you want, that is going to be uh, a possible destination for whoever wants to uh, visit uh, something in your universe. So it's a way to ad advertise your construct to uh, other players. And so that leads to uh, the way you're going to use it as a, as a sort of a, you know, consumer of the feature. Are you going to sit in those VR stations and you're going to have a list of all the sites that are open uh, to public access or that have been granted access to you via the, the, the right management. And so you can actually see those things. They will be sorted by popularity, you know, how many people have visited them recently, these kind of things. So what we hope is that the most interesting um, places uh, where you want to go, if you want to be recruited, if it's a big, big organization, or if you just want to do tourism, uh, those things are going to be you know, on top of the list. And this is something you can use to actually go and discover some of the things that exist in the game as you, and you start it. And that's, that's the first use of this feature. 
uh, you realize that when you get into the universe as it is today, uh, you have a lot of way to, to go through before you can actually access things like being in a big battle star in space, right? Or uh, being visiting some remote planet. I mean, there's a, it's a game that asks you to invest time and to, you know, to just build up your experience. It's really cool. I like it. And I think it's really a, a fantastic uh, you know, experience, but it makes it more difficult to, uh, if you want to have sort of a taste of what is possible in the game, it makes it more difficult. You might have this wonderful construction that is on the other side of Aliath or even on another planet, and it might take you actually several hours before you're in capacity to just go there and, and, and see it, right? So this, this we think, is, uh, is a problem for recruiting new players and getting people to get excited about the game and be able to see for themselves what kind of things can be there. So this is what we try to address with this feature. And as a side effect, it's also a great way for organizations to recruit people, to get them into their headquarters, uh, maybe to go, go uh, through a, a sort of a tutorial if they want to make one for them. I mean, there's a lot of uses, there's a lot of ways that these features can be used uh, besides simply tourism uh, for, for players. And there's another use for this feature, uh, which is tied to PVP. Um, and that, that's a more subtle one, but I think it's a, it's a decisive one. Uh, if you have, let's say, a big battleship uh, that can host like 20 people that actually needs sort of 20 people to operate all the guns and all the, uh, all the machineries in it and so on, that's a great idea. That's, you know, in terms of uh, gameplay, it's an exciting possibility to think that you would, you know, leave the sort of, a, you know, the battle star experience. Uh, but in practice, you know, if you are in the Battle Star or in on a you know in a, in, a, in a real ship, you know you you probably, I mean, if it were the real life, you know, you would be there uh, as a member of the crew. You cannot just uh, disappear, right? Yeah, everybody is there, so you can count on your crew. They are actually in the ship. Uh, in reality, I mean, not in reality. I mean, in the game, uh, the reality is that people are not going to be logged. They are not going to be necessarily available, uh, and for all sorts of reasons. Being able to have a crew of 20 people is, is, a, is a challenge. You can't rely on the fact that you will have 20 people available online and connected if you're attacked and you need to uh, uh, fight back. So that's where the surrogates robots also can be of help because if you have a, a large organization, you have actually a lot of players of the organization connected, but they are not in this battle star or this battle, battle ship. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm a bit intoxicated by Battlestar Galactica, but you get <laughs> you, you, you get where I come from. Uh, well, you're inside that big ship, right? And you need to actually get at least 10 or 15 people to operate the, the, the weaponries and so on. You can actually call for help and people can use the, the stations and use the surrogate features to actually populate your ship and be able to, to do something about it. And that's a, that's a design flow if you don't have that that we have seen in other games that are trying to create crews on board large ships. Uh, it's, it's a nice idea in reality because people are stuck to the ship and they are necessarily there, but you have to solve the issue in a, in a game like us uh, to actually get those, those, those seats uh, occupied by, by, by players. And that's part of the answer. Uh, of course, we are going to have to, you know, battle test that uh, sort of, uh, so that we, we see if that's the proper answer. But that's uh, one of the directions we're exploring to solve this problem of, uh, you know, getting a crew on your ship when you really need it. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, maybe you want to add something in uh, uh, entropy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one thing that's important to mention here is 
uh, when we were sort of in the design talks for this, one of the things that we wanted and that we we fought for uh, was that we wanted to keep this as open as possible. And so um, I'm really excited for potentially all the emergent cases that could happen by by having surrogates interact with everything that we have in the game. Um, you know, you can go into a surrogate, go into a market, buy stuff off the market, move it to a transport or give it to a friend, barter it to somebody, move around. You can even get to a ship, go back to your base and watch yourself in the in the VR station. Like, you know, like I'm quite excited at the idea of like all these different mechanics interacting with surrogates and, and being able to do all these things uh, together. Um, I guess JC is, is sort of letting me be the bad guy here, but yeah, in the in this initial version, <laughs> um, surrogates will not have access to talents, um, so it is a little bit of a brute force approach at this point. Uh, maybe we can finesse that a little bit more in the future. Uh, we just need to be very very careful about it still being important to actually be a person and, and be actually doing things. Uh, we don't want surrogates to just flat replace everything and you just do everything from the surrogate pod because I think that would be uh, quite boring and, and probably problematic for us. Uh, so being a person and being in different areas and being able to use your skills and, and talents um, is, is still something that we want to retain, uh, but also have the, the surrogates interact with the rest of the world. So um, we're, we're looking forward to seeing how that works out. And maybe the talent thing is something that we can tweak uh, and, and restrict in different ways uh, if it comes out that it's not that big of a problem. Uh, but yeah, for, for now, to make sure that we're not uh, messing anything up too bad, this is, a, this is the direction that we're going to take with talents as the big restriction. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, you're right. I mean, the, it should be better to have an actual crew on your ship and people actually yeah. there. So the, the surrogate is a way to not be completely naked if you want, uh, but it, it's not going to be as good as having people actually there. So that makes sense. And um, yeah. So it's definitely going to make getting around a lot easier if you want to go see the sites, uh, you know, take a shopping trip. Um, I am a really impatient pilot. I'm sure you guys have already figured this out. So what about day-to-day -day life? Getting out, seeing the sights faster, it's all about the speed. And I know you're really excited about this one, JC. So I'm going to say, take it away. Let's talk warp drives. Okay, warp drives. So it's, it's a bit like, uh, you know, it's, it's not so disconnected from what we just said before. But um, currently, if you want to move from one planet to another, it can take you uh, several hours. Yeah, from one hour to, I think, three, four hours uh, to actually go from one planet to the other. That's interesting. It shows that the universe is vast, that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a sort of reality to distances. It's a, it, as I said, it's not a game where you teleport and things like that. Um, so that that's, is going to stay. But we added a way for you to shortcut that. It's going to be expensive if you want to use that feature because uh, it's, it's basically a short, sort of a shortcut. But these are warp drives. So that allows, it, 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 you'll be able to equip your ship with a warp drive. And if that's the case, it's, this warp drive is going to be able to use warp cells from a container that is linked to your warp drive. And if that's the case, uh, you'll be able to travel at very, very high speed, uh, either towards a planet or uh, any celestial body like a moon. So you can actually select that as a destination and warp there. Uh, or you can also warp to uh, a station, so only large stations that are going to be equipped with uh, warp beacons. So suppose you have a large you know, uh, organization that has its own uh, space station, they can eventually you know, um, deploy uh, a warp beacon 
And after 24 hours, this is going to be active and anyone in the organization will be able to warp there. Not, not anyone in general, only the people from the organization. So you can warp to uh, constructs, only space constructs that are equipped with the warp beacon. Uh, if the construct is one of yours, of course, or if it is one of your organizations. So that's, that's a way to create a sort of highways in space that allows you to move rapidly from one point to the other. And this is absolutely essential for the development of commerce, because if you have like uh, five hours to travel from one planet to the other, I mean, some players will find it fun and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, very realistic if you want. But let's be realistic. I mean, it's not going to be something most people do. So that will considerably slow down the commercial exchanges between the planets. Probably that would, you know, force us to to make such that you know every planet is sort of equivalent. You have all sorts of different ores that are the same because you know it's so hard to actually go to another planet to to get some other ore. So uh, that would have consequences on the equilibrium of the game. And that's not what we wanted. We wanted to have a, a, an economy where basically any planet can trade with any other planet, and that's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, maybe you pay someone who has uh, who's dedicated to logistics and is going to invest in the warp uh, cells that are needed to warp. It's not your problem, but this, it gets done. And the economy is really fluid, and you can really have exchanges between different parts of the game. So that's, that's a very important thing. Uh, that's what the world drives are going to, to bring uh, uh, on the table. Um, and so you might think, okay, but that's a way perhaps to uh, escape if you're attacked during a combat. No, because there will be cooldowns. I mean, as soon as you shot at, you won't be able to warp for a certain amount of time. I think uh, something like uh, 20 minutes. So that, that's kind of a, you know, a way to prevent abuses on that side. Um, and uh, also, uh, uh, in terms of future PvP, so that's not going to be in beta, but in the long run, we, we want to provide ways for pirates to intercept warps as they go. If, if the pirate sort of knows uh, the, the, the starting and ending point of the warp, it creates a sort of a segment, if you want, and we will make it possible so that if you put certain interceptions zones on that segment, then you can intercept ships and, and basically uh, take them out of warp uh, as they're warping. So that would, I mean, there would be ways uh, for pirates to to still, you know, uh, mm -hmm. sort of benefit from interplanetary uh, commerce and things. That's for sure. It's very important. It has to stay there. But the idea that you will travel for several hours in a straight line and just basically probably do something else, you know, <laughs> and not play the game. Uh, that's that's not something we, we, we think is really fun for the vast majority of players. And, and still, it, it's still a valid way to play, in fact. Uh, I mean, because the warp drives are going to be expensive, uh, the warp sales as well, so when you warp, it's going to cost you. It would be, of course, way cheaper to use a standard drive. You go to the max speed, which is 30 kilometers per hour, uh, and, and or close to that, you know, and you just shut down the engines and thanks to inertia in space, you just carry on. And uh, so that's, that's obviously very, very much uh, cheaper. Uh, so if you want to really reduce the cost of travel, maybe warp drives uh, is not your thing. If you have more time, you know, than, than, than you, you, in your hands and you're willing to invest the, the time, you can actually cut on the and save you know, on the on the cost of traveling and improve your margins if that's what you do you know in, in holding stuff back and forth so that's that's still a legit way to play the game um, and but it's not the only one you know and that's that as a, as a player you get a, a way to to travel it's not 
also something that is very easy to do. Having a warp drive would not be the first thing you do. So, you know, if you're in the game and you want to go to this other planet, uh, it's not like you just uh, magically be able to do that. You, you need to invest into buying a ship that's capable to warp and that kind of things. Uh, you can't warp, you know, if you are too close to a planet, so you have to, do, you know, get to a certain distance, I think something like uh, three times the radius or something. Um, and, and, I don't know, maybe some things that escape me, but there's uh, all sorts of limitations, you know, that prevents abusing from, from that feature. Uh, so that it's kind of, you know, narrowed to a certain use case that is about, you know, shortening the, the time of travel. And that being said, if you're, you know, if your travel is about picking some ore on the surface of a planet and bringing, bringing it on the surface of another planet where there happen to be a market, for example, uh, that's not going to be uh, super short because of the warp drives anyway, because you still need to take off from the first planet, uh, go to a reasonable distance, then warp, then land on the, the destination planet, and all those things are not instantaneous. So it's still, you know... Uh, uh, something that, that takes time to, to just navigate from one surface planet to another surface planet. So it's not, you know, like we have reduced that to uh, five seconds. By the way, the warp time is typically about one minute. That's, uh, that's about the time it takes. Uh, and the cost of, uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say now. Remember, uh, the cost of warping, that is the number of warp cells that you're going to be uh, uh, consuming, uh, is proportional to the mass of your ship and whatever is inside the ship in the containers multiply by the distance. So uh, if you want very, very big ships, very heavy stuff, it's going to be uh, way more expensive than, let's say, a little, a little ship uh, that walks you know, short distances. Um, so that, that covers the, the feature. I mean, there's, there's more to say about that, but uh, there will be, uh, I think, a dedicated uh, blog post that explains how it works. Um, you want to add something, maybe, and um, entropy of that? So yeah, I, I mean, I think you went through most of it. I think the the one thing that I want to add here is um, it's always a little bit awkward as a game designer to put a value on a player's time. And what I mean by that is a player's real time in, term, in terms of the hours that he plays the game. Um, so something that we are probably going to need help with is figuring out the balance of how much it costs for how much time you gain and that the whole interaction between using warp drives and using normal drives and sort of finding that good balance where everybody sort of feels happy about what's going on and no one feels like they're being cheated or it's too expensive and only rich people can use it or it's way too expensive and no one can use it and just sort of finding that middle ground where everybody's kind of happy about it and i think that's that's probably something that we're going to need help with i agree but actually there's there's something that will help us also within the game which is the markets uh, because those warp cells would be traded, they would be, they would be built and sold on markets. And, you know, the pressure of supply and demand will, will find out the right price what people are willing to pay. So whatever, you know, people uh, value for that time will be reflected somehow through this price. Uh, you know, if, if it's too expensive, people will fall back, you know, to uh, not using the warp drives because they can, you know, use the standard methods. And so people will not sell that much swap cells anymore. And so the price is going to go lower. Uh, and though, you know, mechanically, I think this is going to be uh, uh, regulated. But what we need to get right is the recipe so that, uh, you know, it makes sense yeah. uh, to start with. And um, because the, market is going to, the market globally, you know, is going to equilibrate a lot of things. Um, and it's very possible that certain items would have a market price that is way above their raw materials cost plus the time it takes 
uh, to manufacture them because they have a perceived value uh, by the custom by the well, customers. Yes, the the, the the people who are actually buying this uh, item in the game uh, that is uh, higher, and that's that's what markets uh, do. They, they set a price that reflects how much people really want the thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you. I, I agree with everything that you said. I just think that you also highlighted why it's a complex issue because including markets and in all of this uh, makes it that we have to be careful with the with the balancing yeah. and how we how we deal with these numbers. And gathering your feedback is something we're going to be spending a lot of time doing, obviously, in the community. And we're looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about it. I know I, for one, am really excited to get my Zoom Zoom on. Um, but quality of life can extend outside of the game, too. And I want to move into talking some about that. We're constantly being asked about remapping of keys um, to truly make the game your own experience. Can we get some news on that? Uh, let's go to Nomad. We haven't heard from you yet. Yeah, sure. Uh Dual Universe is a PC game that obviously brings a few expectations regarding the kind of options available to customize the player experience from the get-go. Uh, rebinding your keys is a basic functionality for a PC game. So even if uh, everybody can tell that we've been very busy shipping lots of features and, and content for the game for the past two years, that kind of quality of life functionality was long overdue, really. Uh, Jesse talked about the FTUE improvements and, and customized controls are also part of a better overall experience and, and player onboarding as a whole. Uh, if the default control layout does not suit you, um, it's nice to change it to, to ease things up a bit. Um, we're all different in our tastes. Uh, maybe some players have some difficulties and some conditions that prevent them from playing games easily. So that's a first step to ease everyone's life. We squeezed that in our production planning and we, we have other stuff we'll add in the future to improve the use accessibility. Uh, so for now, you should be able to change keys as you see fit and to use any controller in theory, um, even the uh, amazing Microsoft Adaptive Controller, it won't be 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's cool. From from the information I got, uh, it won't be 100% uh, perfect support, um, but it should allow uh, a better ease of use at least, and we'll try to improve things along the way with future uh, updates. Uh, as usual, uh, expect a few bugs here and there, and, and feedback will be important so we can fix and, and refine, yeah. Control is so important, especially uh, in a project as big as Dual Universe. You need to be able to uh, move where you want to go, when you want to go, and how you want to get there. That's great. Uh, so we can zip around the universe now. We've got better controls happening. I definitely sense a shopping trip in my future, and I'm really excited <laughs> about this one. JC, there's some cool changes happening in the market. Do you want to talk about the nano pack? Yeah, yeah. This this is one of those things you know we needed to do because it was kind of broken. Otherwise, so it's not like we discovered the problem. We knew uh, it's just that this was a much needed you know next step on the market uh, interfaces. Uh, the nano market is uh, simply put that you have a sort of a, a market interface within your nano former that means you can access the markets uh, and have a you know an overview of what's available in terms of. Uh, uh, what's what's on sales, you know, and where they are, and at what price, uh, from anywhere. Uh, you just pop that interface, and you can get that access. And in the in the past, you had to actually physically go to a market pod, so you had to go to a certain place to, to get access to this market information. And that was sort of breaking, you know, the whole market and, and basically the economy and basically a lot of things. So, you know, the the as I as I said just before, you know, the market equilibrium and the part of the market is playing uh, in the balance of the game is, is significant. It's like the central nervous system for the game. So it has to work 
and it has to work without uh, having some sort of artificial barriers that prevents you from, from using it. And having to actually move to a physical market that could very well be uh, very far from where you currently are, just to get the information about your options in terms of what can I buy and should I actually buy it or should I craft it? What what's are my options? You know, uh, that was a sort of a, a killer. That I mean, it was killing the feature. Um, so you had basically to you know uh, build your stuff and build your life not too far away from markets because you you constantly have to go there just to check uh, basic things. So this is gone now with the. The nano pack, uh, the, the the nano market, sorry, access um, that that will allow you to to get this information from anywhere, and then you make your decision. Maybe you want to buy the thing, um, and now you know that it's available there. You do the, the order, you fulfill the order, and the thing is going to be waiting for you in the market container in that particular market. So you still have to go to the market, of course, uh, because again, you know, uh, items, objects do not teleport, so they don't appear in your pocket because you just bought it. Uh, on a distant market. So uh, you can buy it from a distant market from where you are, but I mean, you can already, uh, yeah, you have more, uh, uh, you know, possibility to, to, to develop a strategy here. You can look at what is there in all the, the markets that are around you and uh, decide that, okay, well, this one is a bit further, but it's really cheaper compared to that one that is closer. So I'm going to go to the one that is cheaper and further because I don't care about traveling for whatever reason. You know, I have more time than I have money, for example, so I want to do this. Or, uh, you know, my time is very important, so I'm going to get that one that is close. It's a bit more expensive, but it's okay. So that kind of trade-off will be available for, to you uh, without actually having to go to a market first, you know, that... that might not be the one that you want to use for your purchase, but it happens to be uh, necessary to go there otherwise. So that's that's um, that's kind of fixed, and we're going to add also uh, much more markets uh, on every planet, so that uh, you you don't necessarily have to travel a long distance to get to what you need. Uh, we understand that some of those markets might not be really used. Uh, you know, some of them will be kind of elected by the players as being you know the place where you buy buy and sell most of your things that's going to be emerging uh you know by the player interactions we don't know what kind of market is going to be uh popular and some will be not popular but that doesn't really matter because that will emerge and from your nano uh nano market access you'll be able to see all this and make your decision based on on the information that is given to you so that's uh, in fact it's a super important feature because it sort of fixes the whole you know market thing uh, that, that we had so far in, in the game. And we hope that people are going to use uh, more and more the markets because I'm going to say it again, you know, but in the universe, it's not about crafting everything you need. It's actually more about buying everything you need. Uh, maybe you may like and enjoy crafting. Actually, you make it your specialty in the game and that's how you make money uh, as, as you provide, you know, those, those uh, uh, end products to people who need them and they buy them from you. So that's a perfectly legit and I think super cool way of playing the game. But for most other people, they don't want to craft or they just craft basic stuff and they don't want to invest into building factories and that's perfectly normal. And you just go on the markets and you buy what you need. That's the spirit of what we're trying to do. The market is a sort of a hub that connects all the players together and and and, and ends the, you know, the analogy with a sort of a, a, a central nervous system. Uh, so the, it's very important that it works very well, and we, we're going to continue, I think, to improve it. I mean, it's not over. There's a, 
you know, we would like to see, as I said, a history, a journal of your wallet, what happened, and so on and so on. And in a sense, the offline notification system is uh, a step for a step in this direction. Contributes also to make the the market a viable uh, option in the game. Uh, you can become a trader now. You can you know your experience of the game could be about markets, and that's what you do. So this this is uh, you know part of the the efforts we are we are deploying to to get this uh, system to work really well. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to spoil it earlier, but I think there's some super interesting things to do now between uh, the nano market and the surrogates. I think uh, bringing those two together yeah. creates a lot of interaction that I really like. Yeah, definitely yes. So we've talked some really cool stuff today, um, the really cool things coming into the game in 3.1, but I want to take a moment and talk about some of the not-so-cool moments that we've experienced as testers. It's a concern for our community, and I want to talk about what we're doing to resolve the issues that are at hand. One of the biggest complaints that we've been hearing lately um, with the trending is the much-dreaded pending operations, and I'm sure some of you saw on our social media channels, we recently showed a ship off that's been called the pending operations. Um, <laughs> it's a fantastic little ship. I quite like it. Yeah. Um, I know there's been a lot of work done around improving uh, what's going on in the community, and they are asking to see what those changes are. Can you guys give our listeners a little more insight into what we've been facing and what we're doing to fix those issues? Yeah, so uh, basically, uh, in the past, we, we designed something that was a bit rough, but functional enough to be delivered to players. Uh, the system was more uh, prototype in a way and not robust enough that was expected. And uh, we were not satisfied with it at all, of course. Uh, so we started over the past few months to create a, a stronger architecture to handle the voxel operations between the client and the server. Uh, from there, we proceeded to many optimizations to get faster uh, voxel operations execution. Um, all the improvements won't be in the 3.1 version, uh, which is the uh, R0.19 for those who keep track, uh, but we'll definitely ship these in later updates. Uh, in consequence, the, the mining fluidity, for example, should be improved and we are eager to get feedback about this from the, the community. Yeah. Just, uh, just a little bit in addition to that. Um, Performance in general is something that we're taking a hard look at. Um, yeah. I think up to Alpha 3, uh, we were a little bit more lax and, and took a little bit more liberty uh, with our approach to, to making to, to performance, essentially. Uh, but ever since then, and, and sort of as we were finishing off the big Alpha 3 features, and as we are finishing off a lot of these big features that, that you know, we're, we're doing, um, we're putting a lot more effort into performance, especially on the UI side. We know that there are certain UIs that are very slow, that, that take a while to open, uh, these sorts of issues. And we we are in the process and have been, you know, allocating a lot of resources to making sure that we're fixing those problems. So hopefully for this release and then in the future, uh, we start getting to a much, much better place in terms of the, the performance. Yeah, it's it's something we we take at heart and we have constantly in the in the back of our heads. And uh, um, when we have the opportunity to allow a bit more resources here and there among the all the stuff we have to to produce, we we try to refine everything. We read uh, obviously all the the feedback from the community, and we will continue. There's no reason we we don't continue to do that. And as I just said, the the uh, some improvements will come uh, in future updates, so a little bit more patience, but uh, hopefully some visible results should come uh, in the game very, very soon. Thank you, guys. We've been pretty busy at the studio getting uh, this build ready for you guys, as you know, and it's been uh, for a very good cause. 
That's you, our community. And because we've been so busy, some people do feel some of our communication hasn't been as good as it could be. We're told sometimes that you feel the response you get is reactive uh, versus a proactive approach that we're using. And it's given a few folks the impression that we always feel everything is fine when you guys, our players, don't always agree. Nomad, would you like to talk a bit about what we're doing to improve this with our community? Yeah, sure. Um, well, the the silence or late communication sometimes um, is usually due to the fact that we don't have all the info uh, we need on a specific topic to communicate uh, with players. Um, we try to, to plan as best as we can uh, in general. Uh, the team is, you know, uh, doing an awesome job uh, in so many many regards and sometimes it's just not enough so uh the the game is very complex we've we've said that multiple times it's uh, it has never been done before it's a uh, it's very complex and um when stuff are new and innovative it, it takes time to and you can't always you know nail everything at the first try um so uh it's it, Obviously, it's kind of uh, kind of hard to read the, from the forum and Discord that the, the perception uh, is that we don't communicate enough or well enough uh, because that's the exact opposite of what we want to accomplish. So uh, we never stay idle, uh, really. Um, it's worth uh, mentioning uh, for the sake of transparency to, to explain uh, things to, to, to our players that we had some recent changes in our QA team, for example, both planned and unplanned. We, we had to adjust. Um, everybody probably heard about the global pandemic uh, happening and, wh and while things are under control at the company, it had an impact on the, on the general remote work for the whole team. While we were prepared for that, even before the official announcements, it adds more time to do everything for sure. Uh, what took 10 minutes to, to figure out on a normal day uh, by going to see a developer at his desk uh, can now take hours. Uh, the availability of people is different between the extra written exchanges needed and, and the internal uh, messaging system, the emails, the, the conference calls, etc. So it's even harder when uh, when everybody uh, has a tight schedule. So um, we, we definitely... Uh, don't stay idle uh, when we read such comments. The good news is uh, we still uh, succeed to hire new employees during these hard times. Um, and the thing is that uh, the onboarding them takes time too. Um, so uh, that's the price to pay to be able to, to ship the game. So these are some key points to maybe explain uh, things uh, better uh, to our players. Why sometimes we maybe gave, yeah, the, the impression that uh, we were uh, maybe uh, not... Uh, listening as well as before, which um, from our perspective is, is not the case, but it's a matter of perception. So all in all, we will we'll try to improve things in the future. Uh, and for example, uh, it has been brought to our attention that uh, more presence from us would be nice on Discord, especially in the uh, NDA uh, help troubleshooting uh, channel. Uh, I'm already working on it with our customer support team and our game masters uh, to to better uh, onboard uh, newcomers to to help you know people to just have a, a smoother experience, especially in the first hours. So we will try to to figure it out um, as soon as possible. Uh, we're also uh, currently hiring uh, more people on the customer support team to anticipate the future growth in the ticket numbers with the new players. Uh, we, are, we are working on, on maybe changing or adapting a thing or two to give more info in advance without produ producing, you know, extra super time consuming content. But we we hear what you say, guys, and it's, uh, we will try our best to, uh, to, to try to, to answer better to, to what you ask. Uh, and finally, for those who wonder 
uh, yes, our developers and QA playtest the game with uh, you know close conditions of what of what real players uh, experience. Uh, regular uh, sessions, uh, testing sessions happen uh, with the whole studio playing the game, so we can grasp uh, issues uh, in advance. In any case, we'll continue the the hard work and uh, whatever you could think. Um, um, we do read and listen to the to the feedback, and things take time to happen, but we'll try to do better. Yeah, I'm going to add something here. It's just that um, obviously, you know, we, we are listening to everything. We're looking at all the bugs and everything. I mean, we, we are yeah. very serious about that. Uh, we, we have priorities. So we, we all of those things, you know, in how they affect the, uh, the, the, the proper working of the game, you know, from crashes, of course, and things that makes the, the game unplayable, but also more subtle things that are related to the equilibrium of the game, the you know, sometimes I call this, you know, uh, sort of game design bugs, you know, things that needs to be fixed from the, well, I, I talk, for example, about the market thing and, and, and how, you know, this, this can, maybe you're not going to notice that problem in the game when you just join and you start, but after some time, it will actually sort of break the game or, or, or put it into a, 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 a state that is not at all how it should actually be. Uh, so that that's all part of the things we try to address. Um, as a player, you report bugs and issues that are at the level of the player. So things you you see, you know, things you experience. There are also uh, a lot of issues that are more internal, yeah, like related to um, the technology or things that uh, you might not even realize that there's a problem there yet. Because, for example, the conditions that will trigger the problem are not uh, happening when there are not uh, a huge number of players in the game or things like that. But we know that there are uh, something that's going to break. And that gets, for example, ranked high in the priority. So it gets handled before other things that you see. So they, in other words, you know, in the list of issues that we have to, to, to deal with, there are the issues that you players, you see, and they are intertwined with other issues that you have no idea about, but they are also very important and they are ranked together with the others. So that, that might actually end up having that some developer that would have to deal with a, a perceived issue that you see as a player. Uh, actually, there are three other issues that you don't see that are on top of his priority list that they will have to deal with first. And therefore, uh, the visible issue does not get uh, addressed immediately. So that's the kind of things that, that happen. But what I can tell you is that every everyone in the team, and, and you know, I, I just want to, to say how proud I am of everyone who is uh, you know, working incredibly uh, to, to try to get this uh, uh, done by the time we have left to, to reach the beta. So everybody is working very hard and there's, there's no one who is like, uh, you know, thinks that everything is fine. Everybody is working very hard to try to fix everything. There's just an order of priority uh, based on our judgment on how this is going to affect the game. And there are a lot of problems that are not visible to players, but that still need to be addressed. So that, that's the, you know, what's happening. But um, yeah, as you said, you know, uh, uh, Nomad, uh, rest assured that any problem that, that, that exists is known and it's inside our system and it's going to be addressed uh, eventually, uh, sooner or later, depending on how it relates to other issues and the priority, uh, you know, the respective priorities. So uh, yeah, it's a complex problem, uh, complex uh, project, sorry. It, it, it comes with all, all sorts of problems. Uh, we are a relatively small team. You know, if you consider the, the scope of that game, um, hopefully, you know, in the future, this is going to grow. But for now, you know, we are a relatively small team. And uh, so 
yeah, that's a, that's a, a huge challenge. And I think we're doing pretty well. Uh, and the team is, is really uh, doing an amazing job uh, to, to fix those things. So I would say, you know, don't, don't, um, don't assume, you know, that we don't care for sure. We do. And we, we're going to get everything fixed. Okay. I think as the relative newbie here, it's safe for me to say the passion that I see, not only from the team, but the community together, this is such an amazing project. And I mean, for those of you listening to this podcast today, I want you to understand the passion is there and we're going to make everything the best we can for you guys. Yeah. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I did, uh, I think I missed a topic here I want to touch on, and that's the Territory Claim Unit. We recently introduced this after the wipe uh, happened, and every player got a free one. It's outside on the left, down the ramp, if you missed it. Um, it had some mixed reactions, and we didn't maybe explain it as well as we could have the first time around. JC, do you want to talk about it? Tell us what it's really for, how it should be used? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the you know one of the primary functions of Territory uh, Units is that uh, you are able to secure a piece of land where you can control through the right and duty management system. You can control who has the right to uh, uh, deploy new constructs in this, in this territory or simply edit the territory, which is basically digging uh, this territory. So that has always been um, you know, anticipated that this is a fundamental thing that we need to have in the game so that we, 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 we deal with, uh, let's say, a form of griefing where uh, you get people who basically go in your garden and start to dig holes in it, right? So <laughs> that's uh, that's that's a uh, it's not a new uh, new thing. Uh, the problem with territorial unit is that you have to manage two things that are contradictory. You want, uh, on one hand, you want every new player to actually get an easy way to get at least one piece of land, you know, one of those tiles, so that you can you can uh, you know, enjoy the the security that comes with it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, so in a sense, it should be relatively easy to have a, a territory unit. But on the other hand, you don't want it to be so easy that uh, powerful organizations would be able to cover a planet in no time because this is just a commodity. And, you know, claiming a territory is, is, uh, is almost at no cost, in fact, for those uh, powerful entities. So that's, you know, that's a contradiction. Um, so uh, what... And part of the answer is to say that you're going to have uh, a sanctuary moon uh, territory uh, unit that you can use on that moon. So there's only one you can claim on any given moon. So that solves you know, the sort of proliferation issue. And that's only for players. Uh, but that, that is not enough because um, getting to a moon is going to take time. And actually, this, this gameplay is not fully implemented yet. And we wanted to take you know, uh, a step back and look at the, the dynamics of TCU uh, in a more general framework. If, you, if we put a very high recipe that makes it super hard and super expensive, uh, okay, you will limit a little bit the proliferation for large organizations. But in practice, uh, if you want to have anything outside of a sanctuary moon, you're, you're basically, uh, you're, you're, you can't afford it. You know? So that's, that's, uh, that was a problem. So, it's a bit perhaps early to commit on anything at that stage, but uh, we, we have in mind a mechanism so that we could manage both situations. So basically, you have to pay a sort of a tax whenever you deploy a territory unit. And that tax would increase with the number of territory units you have already deployed. That's the, you know, the, the core idea uh, that, is, that is behind what we're looking at. So that it's, it's going to be super cheap to deploy one, but as soon as you start to deploy more of them, you know, typically what an organization would do to acquire 
uh, larger territory, uh, then it's going to get marginally more and more expensive. So that's the intuition. Uh, now, of course, there's many ways uh, that you can abuse this system. So we're looking at you know all the loopholes and how you could uh, you know game that thing. Uh, so we're going to find something, but that's that's the spirit of what we're trying to do. That it's easy to get one, but it gets you know once if you want to cover a large area of a planet, that's going to be an investment. It probably requires an organization. It requires a lot of efforts. Now, in the future. Uh, after beta, there will be things like the fact that through PVP you can uh, conquer a territory, so basically uh, destroy a territory unit and, and put your own on, on the territory on the on the tile. So that will of course change the dynamics of all the things, uh, make it more interesting. Uh, the plan is also at some point to introduce a mechanism so that you can actually sell territory tiles that you've claimed. So there will be a sort of a real estate market, sort of. Uh, where, uh, again, the market is going to help to figure out what's the value of a, of a tile. You know, and sometimes will be effectively very, very cheap. Even if the whole planet has been covered with uh, territory uh, units, it doesn't mean that uh, it's going to be hard for you to get uh, you know, one, one, uh, one tile. If certain areas are cheap, then they are cheap, so anyone can get them. And then once you're done with that, whatever you are doing there, maybe you want to reset it. And so there's a circulation of you know, opportunities. That unfortunately is not going to come for better. It requires a lot of uh, dedicated gameplay mechanisms and so on. We don't have time, and we consider it's not uh, you know game breaking enough to to you know make it to better. Um, so meanwhile, we're looking at this uh, uh, kind of fixes that will allow you to uh, uh, easily get uh, territory units to get your peace of mind that you should have, uh, but also make it uh, more challenging for organizations to conquer large areas and make it more you know interesting fulfilling uh, to, to do that kind of things uh, did I forget something maybe uh, in the entropy of that um, no, no no I think you covered it pretty well I think the the only thing that I want to add is that maybe we uh, rush a little bit into into the solution here um, but it's yeah, yeah. it's as I said it's still in discussion right? yeah, exactly. uh, but we are aware of the problem that's what yeah. you need to hear you know we are not uh, like uh, uh, naively uh, realizing that there's an issue here. I mean, we know about it. Uh, it's part of the first things we discussed, actually, about the game uh, to, to prevent this kind of abuses that, that we've seen. So, yeah, the, the cliff yeah. notes is that we, we hope to sort of bring you a package solution uh, for beta or maybe a little bit before uh, that makes sense and where things just work. Right. That's, the, yes. that's the goal right now. Yes. And this is where your feedback is very important. So sure to send it our way. Always. <laughs> well, it's been a long uh, afternoon here. I've got one more question for you guys, and then I'll let you get back to work. Uh, we've got some great new features coming into the game that we've talked about today, fixes and changes that are all coming our way. Next question is, when do we get to test again? Nomad, tell us about the June Super Test. The good, the bad, the ugly. Let's hear it all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a bit of context uh, before uh, to explain wh what happened recently with, uh, with the canceled test and uh, etc. cetera. Uh, initially, we wanted to release the, the Alpha 3.1 sooner, but we had some setbacks and decided to postpone things a bit. Uh, the team needed to work on the server and to perform several actions on the platform, so it was wiser to proceed like this. Uh, we know it's not ideal for players and we're always reluctant to, to do that but sometimes the, the reality of game development is such that you do what you have to do uh, we would have liked to anticipate better uh, like we, we talked uh, earlier but sometimes you, you can't 
and uh, we'll try to, to do better next time. Uh, in any case, um, the the 3.1 uh, release candidate version uh, will be available on June 4. Uh, it will be um, a first uh, test, a short test, probably three to four hours, but it will be, um, if things go um, well uh, extended uh, to uh, to a longer time period. Um, in any case, uh, we work hard to improve things. As we said, we'll continue to do so. And the good news is that it will be essential to prepare the super test you, you just mentioned um, coming, and it should last roughly a month, uh, starting from June 11 to July 9. Um, this will allow us to observe many things in terms of players' behavior uh, regarding the new features, the, the new FTUE, the existing features improvements we, we covered, market data, you name it. Uh, it's very important for uh, players to, to join. They will obviously have a, a way more time to um, to enjoy the game. Uh, it's, it's, it's important for us to, to improve everything. Uh, the version will be buggy and unstable. Uh, players must be warned, at least at the beginning, that's for sure, and will perform uh, updates and, and maintenance as often as possible to improve and refine things. We'll try to not disturb the session too much, but some plan, planned um, interruptions will be necessary from time to time. Um, and uh, once again, all this is necessary to uh, help us preparing the battle launch later this year. So there you guys have it. Major test upcoming, new things to test when we're doing it. This is going to be fun. I'm going to let these guys get back to work now. So thank you guys for joining in today. And we'll do this again real soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us. As always, we look forward to your thoughts and feedback on this podcast or any of the topics that we've covered today. Join us on Discord, our forums, or social media. Please consider liking and subscribing to our channels to always stay up to date with what we're up to. As you know, we're a fully crowdfunded project and rely on your patronage and participation. If you haven't joined us, you can do so at duelthegame.com pledge. We hope you'll join us soon for our next Twitch stream where we'll be answering your questions live and so much more. I'm so excited. On behalf of the entire team, thank you for joining us and we'll see you again soon in Duel Universe.